Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hey, 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 how are you today? Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. Time to talk about computers and the uh, internet and home theater, the surround sound, big screen TVs, digital photography. Uh, We can talk about smartphones. We can talk about smart watches. 8888-ASK-LEO is my phone number. If you have a question, a comment, a suggestion, you'd like to talk high tech, 888-827-5536. Uh, website is uh, techilabs.com. Techilabs.com. It's free. It's open. All the stuff that you're looking for, all the stuff I talk about is there. And it's easily searched. More news from DEFCON. Well-named, I think. The big hacker convention in Vegas this past week. It's preceded by Black Hat. Black Hat's kind of more of a corporate thing for corporate security professionals. And then uh, then people stick around <laughs> for DEF CON, which is a little more of an amusement park. I mean, people I know who – I've never been, but people I know who go to DEF CON uh, always say, well, don't bring your computer or uh, don't bring your phone. Bring a burner phone. Don't put anything on it. Because, of course, you're going to a den of hackers, admitted hackers, who take great pride, in fact, in trying to break into everything and they see <laughs> they see around – uh, and uh, I mean, it's all in good fun. They have a uh, on the on the uh, in the con- conference. They have a wall projected on it. It's called the Wall of Sheep. Projected on it, the uh, names and machines of all the people who have been compromised. <laughs> you don't want to get on that wall of sheep. They also have a fun little game called Spot the Fed. That's become a little too easy these days. The Feds are there recruiting and learning, like everybody else, but. Uh, but they often wear badges that say things like the NSA and the CIA. So spotting the Fed isn't as hard as it used to be. Um, and there's always fun stuff. Yes, last show I talked about the uh, the robot that one team built to uh, crack a safe. They did so in 30 minutes. From zero to cracked in 30 minutes. Now there was a, this is actually maybe more important. Um uh, my friend Ian Thompson running in the register at uh, DEFCON, 30 computer-powered ballot boxes, exa- identical to the ones used in American elections, were set up in a simulated White House race, and uh, and hackers were released without any prior information to work to break the gear, crack it, and change the vote. In fewer than 90 minutes, the first cracks in the system's defenses start appearing, revealing an embarrassingly low level of security. Then, one was hacked wirelessly, remotely. 
So uh, the machines from Diebold, of course, we've known for a while that Diebold's machines, which are widely used uh, in elections, are, are not the most secure, but also WinVote and Sequoia equipment. They were bought on eBay or from government auctions. <laughs> Apparently, they're widely available. Fortunately, electronic voting like this is, I think, in the small minority of cases now in the U.S., people are finally learning that there's something more secure about paper ballots. And at the very least, if there's electronic voting, there needs to be a paper trail. But to some of these, some of these uh, voting machines were running Windows XP, Windows CE, unpatched versions of uh, uh, OpenSSL. Some had physical ports on them. You know, just little Ethernet or USB ports you could plug in malicious you know malicious software into so uh, just uh, just so you know a win vote system that was used uh, in county elections recently actually was hacked via Wi-Fi <laughs> what was it doing on the internet no well no one knows it was uh, the, from the Commonwealth of Virginia the official ballot box. Fairfax County, cracked by Wi-Fi. So I hope that we learn from these little demos that, uh, and I hope that secretaries of state and voting officials across the country are watching and saying, oh, maybe we ought to get something a little more secure here. It's funny, isn't it? On the tech guy show, you'd, you'd hear me saying, well, you really ought to be using paper ballots. Or at the very least, actually, it's fine to use electronic voting, and that's being used widely. But increasingly, it's being used with a electronic, with a, a paper trail, prints out a paper trail that can be audited and should be audited. Here in the California, we we use paper ballots. They're, they're uh, you know, you get the number two pencil and you mark them. They're computer read, but they're paper ballots. And the reason that's different is because. Uh, you can somebody can go back and look at those ballots and 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 verify it. You can even do it very easily with a small sample. Say, let's take 2,000 ballots and compare the physical ballots to the electronic result. And if that doesn't match, then you go do more. And if it does, then you have some some sense of safety here. What you don't want is a, is a machine like this WinVote machine used in uh, Fairfax County where there's there's no paper trail or anything. There's just the electronic vote. The person goes in, closes the curtain behind them, presses a button, and leaves... And that's the only record of it. That's too easy to hack, too easy to change. We've got three years. Well, really not even that long. year and a half for the midterms. We've got to fix this. And I hope people are paying attention. It's always fun. DEFCON's always interesting because uh, hackers take... And I say hackers, you know, I think sometimes we use the word hackers to imply a criminal person. Not necessarily a criminal at all. Some criminals are hackers. Many hackers are not criminals. They're just people who like to pick locks and break things and see if they can get them to do other things uh, out of a pure academic interest. The guys who designed the safe-cracking robot almost certainly are not going to take that out in the world now and try to crack safes and take money out of it. It's uh, fun for them. It's fun. Apple's opening its uh, Apple Park. Uh, employees are starting to move in. Kind of a cool uh, spaceship campus. Maybe you've seen pictures or videos of it. There's been some big articles in the New York Times. The Wall Street Journal just published an article. Uh, 
all about this beautiful campus designed by Apple's master designer, Johnny Ive. In conjunction with, of course, the late Steve Jobs, it was it was Steve's kind of last vision for Apple to build this massive. Uh, there's only one little bit of an issue uh, with the campus. <laughs> maybe they uh, maybe they should have asked employees a little bit before they uh, designed it. This is, you know, unfortunately, is a problem with designers sometimes. They're they're all about the design, which is truly stunning, and maybe. Maybe a little less practical. You know, up in Microsoft, where they also, you know, the campus is a big deal. They've designed it so every single programmer, every single engineer has his own or her own office that she can close the door and focus. There are no offices in the spaceship campus. Programmers will be sitting in open areas um, with meetings going on right next to them. It's all open. There's no, there's no offices, there's no windows, there's no doors. The idea was, well, we want everybody to kind of collaborate and work together. But if you <laughs> already, some of the <laughs> engineers are going, yeah, well, I, yeah, but I also need to pay, I need to focus. I don't need to be, this is a problem in all offices, isn't it? It saves money if you just have cube farms or even open plans. You don't even buy the walls then. It's really cheap. The problem is uh, people, uh, well, there are people in your business who don't <laughs> who don't want others to work too hard. It makes them look bad. So they go around with a cup of coffee, talking, gassing. Then there's the long meetings. Pretty soon eight hours has gone by and nobody's done anything. Golly, I hope this Apple <laughs> this Apple campus works out. Because you know they're not putting walls in it. That's that's done. Eighty eight <laughs> would you like to work in that open environment? It's fun. It's good, you know. Very com camaraderie, a lot of good camaraderie. Camaraderie, not much work getting done. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Ask Leo. I'm going to close the door and focus on your calls next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, 8888, ask Leo the phone number. When you call, you'll be speaking to this vivacious person, vivacious, vivacious like Kim Schaeffer, the vivacious jury duty bound Kim oh, Schaeffer. Hey, I don't work here about that because uh, they don't have jury on weekends. Yeah, I know. I was like, does federal court do jury on weekends? No. Is that going to be a problem? Hey, you like federal court, man. That's class. That's class all the way. You're going to, yeah, yeah so enjoy that. <laughs> uh -huh. I'm going to enjoy making that call every day and hoping I hear, yeah. we don't need you. <laughs> but you know, you and I, I know you feel this way. Serving on a duty is your civic duty. It's always inconvenient, you know, because you're, you're not your own master, but we all need to do it. Otherwise, the only people who would serve on jury trials are people who don't mind. Right. <laughs> no, they could be fascinating. <laughs> that wouldn't be a jury of your peers. It is fascinating. I did, a, I did a, a jury trial a few years ago. Took a couple yeah. of weeks. It was good. It's interesting. You know, it's like being in, a, you know, the good wife. For real. <laughs> for real. A couple of the cases that I could have potentially been on would have been extremely fascinating and extremely dark and yeah. And so you want a criminal case because the civil cases. Oh, yeah. <gasps> oh so one boring. Of, one of the ones that I Lawsuits, could have been yeah. on would have been awful. Yeah. Litigation's boring. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, good luck. <laughs> good luck on the jury duty. And who should I start with? Uh, Brian in Thousand Oaks. He wants to simulcast from his Chromecast and needs some tips and tricks. Mm, interesting. Thank you, Kim. Hello, Brian. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Welcome. 
Thanks, Leo. Hey, so we have a uh, we have a sales office, and in that office, maybe like Apple, open sales floor, uh, lots of collaboration happening. We put some flat screens, nice big Samsung TVs along the exterior, and use those screens to put up some sales scoreboards or stream some media, movies, uh, audio, music. Cool. But I'm having trouble getting them all to do the same thing at the same time. And we've got Chromecast installed on those. I uh, just can't figure it out. Wonder if you had a tip for trick. So your hope was to have uh, uh, a one computer run all of the screens. That would be ideal, absolutely. But I'm open to other suggestions. Yeah, because uh, then you, the idea would be you would Chromecast the the contents of that computer or whatever's going on to a screen. Unfortunately, that's not how. The Chromecast is a one-to-one device, so I've noticed that. no computer can can broadcast to more than one screen at a time. Typically, in environments like that, each screen has its own computer. You want exactly the same thing, though, to show up in all the screens? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think we, we, we're a Salesforce company as well, so we use a lot of their dashboards and performance yeah. reports that would be... So if, if the solution called Hoopla that does that, but... Yeah. You know, if, uh, so if you want to put Hoopla yeah. up on the same Hoopla data up on all the screens, then you need to just wire them all together, believe it or not, to a single device. You can do it wirelessly with uh, something like the Wavecom Junior. This is kind of a silly name for it, but it's an RF broadcast uh, solution. So you put the Wavecom or similar radio device on your computer. You'd have Your computer would have to have a video out, most do. HDMI, HDMI be fun. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Fine. And then uh, that would transmit like a radio station, a television station. And each of the receiving televisions would have the same receiver and they could all receive the same signal. Or this would be flexible enough. You could tune them to different frequency and have half of them do hoopla Half of them do music, half of them do the sports, whatever whatever it is you want to do. So if you want them to all do the same thing, then you need you need kind of a distribution system where one computer drives them all. And that's basically, you know, think of it as a, a, a lot of wires or a wireless solution, but, this, but the same thing. And you can turn a computer into a broadcast unit. The other way to go with that, uh, and this is often when you see, for instance, uh, you go in a, a coffee shop these days and they have a, you know, like Starbucks, they have a monitor on the wall. Uh, sometimes you'll see a menu. All of those have dedicated computers. And the reason you can do that is they're cheap now. The screen, the monitor is much more expensive than the computer. You could use a $35 Raspberry Pi to drive these things. Literally, they have HDMI out. They run, uh, you know, a, a Linux-based operating system. Actually, you have your choice. There's many operating systems, and you can, uh, you could have, uh, or you can even have Windows on it. There's a Windows for Raspberry Pi, so if you're probably that's what you'd use if you're going to use Salesforce. And uh, they have they have Wi-Fi, so they're a little computer. They're not a, you know, powerhouse for thirty-five bucks, but they're not, you know, they're more than enough to do something like run Hoopla because there's not a lot of number crunching going on there. They're getting their data from a central system. 
I think that's another way to go. Uh, and the nice thing about the Raspberry Pis, they're small. You can fit them in a, a box pack. People often do the size of an Altoids tin, one of those mint tins. Uh, people actually often take Altoids tins and make them cases for Raspberry Pis. They're about that big. Velcro it to the back of the monitor, and you're, you're good to go. So if you want them all to do the same thing, then you need to have a single broadcast source. You can do it wired or wireless. Uh, they all have to receive the same signal. If you don't mind them or you you prefer them doing different things, then I think getting a little inexpensive computer behind them. A lot of times if you go and you search online for uh, these menu screens for restaurants, things like that, they the, the whole system comes with a computer. It's a TV plus a computer. Uh, let's see. What else? What other, other th ways to do that? I think those those would probably be my recommended two solutions for something like that. Daryl on the line from New Jersey. Hi, Daryl. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Leo. How you doing? I'm Huge well. How are you? Welcome. Thank you. Huge fan since early 2000s, tech TV days. <laughs> since the early 2000s. Um. <laughs> that sounded like the future back then. Now it sounds old school. Definitely. Amazing. I'm a huge tech junkie. Thank you. Oh, a, a tech, me too. I'm a tech junkie. Hello, friend. I know you are. Yes. I have uh, probably every Echo device except for the tap. And, uh, me you know, too. Macs, Windows, all kinds yeah. of junk. And uh, I never had a Chromebook. So I, I saw uh, a Chrome bit online and just went and bought it. It's only 85 bucks. And it's, yeah, it's like a it's USB a stick. stick. You plug it into a existing yeah. HDMI port on a TV, and you can exactly. use a Bluetooth uh, keyboard and mouse, and now you've got a computer on your TV. And it's great, yeah, for doing email and things like that. It's, yeah. It's it's great, but I, I you know just wanted to test out the Chrome OS. and uh, I love Understand it. that Chrome bits are not as powerful. I mean, you can get more powerful Chrome books. Right. You can get more power, more RAM, more storage, that kind of thing. But for, you know, if what you want to do is put a Chrome browser on a TV, that's a great way to do it. Actually, it'd be a good solution for our last caller, 80 bucks. Plug it into the back of the TV. It's easy. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's almost like you're having a Raspberry Pi. It is. It's a little more expensive. But, uh, yeah, I think those are good yeah. solutions. You know, it's interesting. The Chrome OS, which Google created, they built it on Linux, but they made it so that it's really just a Chrome browser. Not, you, can't, you can't easily get outside the browser. You can, but you, but you have to know what you're doing to get outside the browser. Uh, it's right. basically it's designed... Made by Asus. Yeah, Asus makes yeah. everybody. There's a ton of people that make them. In fact... What we're most interested in is the Chromebook Eve. We've seen in the Chromebook source code, because it's open source, the Chrome OS open source, we've seen mentions of this device called the Eve that everybody thinks might be the next Chromebook from Google. Now, Google's Chromebooks are more pricey, but they're also more high-end. And people who really love Chrome OS, like I do, are very interested to hear what Eve is. And there's no word from Google when it'll come out or, or if. Chrome OS is a great choice. We want secure, simple operating systems. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Portion of the Tech Guy Show brought to you by the amazing Epson EcoTank printer with cartridge-free printing and years of ink in the box. It's a revolution. Go to epson.com slash ecotank to learn more. Epson, exceed your vision. Chatroom gives me a uh, 
a link to a site with a great name, uh, by the way, screen.cloud, screen.cloud, and they make uh, simple digital signage for any screen. So the idea is you've got the screen, you can uh, control it from your computer, and I presume that they set you up with, yeah, they set you up with Android TV or Amazon Fire or Google Chromecast. So you don't need to go out and buy very expensive stuff. Now, this isn't kind of not what our caller is looking for because he already has the software, the dashboards he wants to put up on the screens in the office. Uh, but it's just a, it proves, it's proof of concept that, you know, you can use these inexpensive devices to drive screens. The problem is in many cases, in fact, I think all of these cases, it's one-to-one. Now, maybe these screens, this software will allow you to uh, send it to a, a number of screens. I bet not, though. That's a that's a tricky thing to do. But inter- interesting. Screen.cloud. 8888-ASK-LEO. Back to the phones we go. And uh, Misha in Portland, Maine. Hi, Misha. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Micah. Micah. Ah, it's, it's Micah. Micah. She spelled it's your it with main a, man. I know you are. She spelled it with a C-H. Is that how you spell it? It's M-I-C-A-H. A-H. Micah. She right. spelled it H-A. Micah. From Portland, Maine. Hi, Mike. I'm so excited, actually, to speak with you because you've got uh, people in your uh, in your studio that just flew that last domestic. You knew about this? I'm an airplane geek. I write for the Airplane Geeks and the Airline Pilot Guy podcast. So, yeah, I was well aware of it. I wish I had the money to go do that. So Ruth and Jim are uh, uh, retired airplane geeks, I guess, like you, and they live in Chicago. And I guess United, just a couple of days ago, announced their last domestic 747 flight from Chicago to San Francisco. And they dropped some money on it just to say, hey, we're going to get on that thing. They say it was a party. That 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 everybody, most everybody on it, were there because it was the last. Why is that a big deal, Micah? Well, because the 747, it's the queen of the skies. It's probably the most magnificent and iconic aircraft that still flies. Anybody can recognize a 747. And but isn't? But they're big. Aren't the A380s or the 777s or the Dreamliners? Aren't those the more modern versions of the 747? Well, the A380 is definitely larger, and yes, also more modern. Although the 747-800 is newer than the A380s because uh, there's different models of the 747. But it's not as iconic, and it's certainly the A380 is when you look at it, it's, it's a it's a big airplane, but it's an ugly airplane. It is you know, an ugly. Airplane. I mean, it can be it can be dressed up inside nicely, but n- nobody does that. They just use right. It. And on the outside, it's just not very attractive from a, from a you know just a, a, an art point of view. Where the seven forty seven really has these amazing lines, uh, kind of thing. So, and you know, your, your people in your studio can certainly tell you about that too, because they're obviously airplane geeks, and yeah. they don't do the podcast. But I'm an airplane is geek it, with, with capital letters. <laughs> the airplane geek podcast is the seven forty seven the last one with a, an upstairs. No, the A380 is a double-decker. It has upstairs, too. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. remember in the early days of the 747, they'd like lounge up there in a piano bar and yeah, <laughs> a the spiral staircase. Sure, <laughs> sure. It was amazing. It oh, was amazing. So, so that was it, huh? That, no more domestic yep. flight 2704, the last domestic flight from, uh, in, of the 747. It, no other airlines using it in the U.S., huh? Oh, well, they use it in the U.S., but they use it only international. Long, long, long flights to yeah. Japan yeah, long, and, long. And, uh, and and Europe. Uh, that's interesting. I guess what four engines makes it uneconomical too. Yeah, and they're also having trouble selling the A380 because it's also four engines. So uh, oh, that's what's happening with that. In the Paris Air Show, they talked about uh, trying to uh, increase the fuel economy of the A380 with a new version of it, but they're having trouble selling those as well for the same reason. So if but, somebody is somebody, do you know? Do you know Ruth and Jim about the Airplane Geeks podcast? It sounds like you're you're kind of you're kind of guy. Wow, they say, oh yeah, we know all about it. <laughs> they may have heard me before. Yeah, AirplaneGeeks.com, is that right, Micah? That's it. That's awesome. That's and awesome. also the Airline Pilot Guy, APG. It's another podcast that I'm a part of. You know what I, I love about um, about tech is it's just a sub. It's just a superset, really, of a lot of little 
uh, kind of avid s- groups of people who have just this this thing they're into, like airplanes or uh, model trains or comic books. Or, and it's so fun to see these groups of people with just such passion about something like that. I I, I, I understand because I meet up and we have a wonderful time, just yeah. like they did on the on the, on the, on the seven forty seven. They probably made friends that they will now have for life for life. It's just amazing. Now works. apparently, Ethan Pilot seven eighty seven who I guess is a 787 pilot in our chat room, says Delta announced their last domestic 747 in September from LAX to Detroit. So you'll you'll be going to Detroit soon, I think. <laughs> and their 747 stayed back from when, before Delta merged with uh, Northwest. Oh. They, they're all Northwest 747. Oh, interesting. See, boy, he does know his stuff. I just I was testing you, Micah. <laughs> well, I'm calling about old technology, as you can tell, because we're talking about 747s. I'm calling to ask you a question about printers and CDs. Because I print, have to print about 80 to 100 CDs a year. Not a lot, but just enough that I need to have a printer to do it. And I went to print a couple of things today, and I don't really use color. I have a laser printer, and I only print text on occasion. But, you know, I need to have this, uh, this color printer, because that's the only thing I can do. Do you want to print right on the uh, CD, or do you want to print labels for CDs? No, I want to print right on the CD, yeah. which is what I do. And, and it's, it's much nicer, by the way. If you print a label and a sticky label on a CD, that's actually dangerous. They, I've seen them kind of in the heat of the CD kind of curl and melt and then gum up the works. So so much nicer if you're making CDs to do like the record labels do and print right on the CD. Absolutely, and it's easy to do. And in fact, one of your sponsors makes printers that do that. I think they're the last one, Epson. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the thing that drives me crazy, and the printer that I have, it's a couple of years old. The other day, I ran out of my photo black, and I had to go get that photo black cartridge, which I understand that, except for one thing. I've never used photo black. <laughs> so where did it go? <laughs> well, yeah, and I don't know. It just disappears. It drains. I'm wondering if there's a better way for me to be able to print the 80 to 100 CDs I need to print every year. Better than the printer you've got? Better than the, the not that there's anything better than Epson, but <laughs> better than an, 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 the Epson printer that I have. It's an XP810. It's great. But I don't know. Maybe do they have, does Epson make a tank printer that prints CDs? Oh, is wouldn't that be another, nice? Is there another company, not that I would want to buy anything other than Epson, because, you know, they make the best printers in the world. But <laughs> I'm trying to help you out here, Leo. They make a high-end uh, printer for, uh, you know, companies that spit out a lot of them. Right. Uh, but, but you I wouldn't want to get that for just a couple of hundred. Uh, you're probably using an Expression uh, photo printer. Yeah. yeah. And, X, and, and, X, and what is it? Uh, the Epson... Yeah, you know, it's funny. There was this technology, and I'm sure it's died out now, where instead of printing – these are basically just inkjet printing on a CD. And, right. And you you have to get some special CDs that can take the uh, the ink. Without, right, which are available, not too expensive. There was a uh, – and I don't think these are made anymore um, – a print, a print technology that would let you print uh, onto the CD using like a laser. Do you remember those? What was the name of that technology? Uh, that was a weird – Thing and I, they, they etched it. They etched the CD, and I don't know if those are still around. Those are kind of nice because um, they never they never go bad. But I don't know if any Lightscribe. That was the name of it, right? And you had to have a special CD, and I believe yeah. it was made by HP. And no, they don't make those anymore. It happened right inside the. You remember uh, that? Yeah, yeah. It was right inside your uh, CD player and your desktop. Yeah, Lightscribe CD. Yeah, it was kind of wild. Yeah. yeah. So other than that, I guess this. You know, I hate to tell you, Mike, CDs are dying. <laughs> I bet you half the time you give somebody a CD, they say, well, what am I supposed to do with this? Let's see if our vast audience has any idea. Thank you, Michael. Leah Laporte, the tech guy. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. 
Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You need Witness relocation program, the weight capacity of all roads and bridges. However, they uploaded IBM's entire database on a cloud servers, then emailed. Okay, so the problem wasn't the cloud servers. They emailed the entire database to marketers, and then the messages were sent in clear text. And in, oh, this is good. And instead of asking the subscribers, just delete the whole thing. We'll send you a new list. They sent them another email listing all the stuff to delete in clear text. <laughs> Making it a little bit easier to find. The outside, outsourcing deal gave IBM staff outside Sweden access to the agency's systems without undergoing proper security clearance checks. IBM administrators in the Czech Republic were given full access to data and, log, data and logs. Wow. Okay, that's quite a story. The largest leak of uh, data, largest data breach of national data in history. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, this stuff's all new, and so people don't. Oh, in the basement? <laughs> we, <laughs> we started having to restrict that. <laughs> that was the best part of the tour is the basement. How fun. How fun. <laughs> uh, the woman who leaked the information uh, was docked uh, two weeks pay. So she got, she got punished. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. Will it? Will it? Is it enough shielding to? They say it's enough shielding. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Ask Leo. Uh, oh my goodness, I'm just reading. I kind of stunned by this. So I just been reading the stories all week long about Sweden, <laughs> a lovely country. I'm a fan of Sweden, but something bad happened, and it, it's being called the largest leak of governmental uh, information in history. Uh, it was dis disclosed this month by the Swedish newspaper, uh, Dagens Nighter. Maria Agren, the former director general of the Swedish Transport Agency, had been fired in January for, quote, negligent handling of classified data. But as time went by, people realized what that classified data was. The Transport Agency had information uh, about every owner of every vehicle in the country, all the military vehicles in the country, uh, People in the witness protection program, I'm not sure why they were in there, but they were, uh, members of the military, including special ops members, information about roads and bridges, bearing weight, but other information about roads and bridges, which would be presumably of use to an invader, 
It was all handed over to IBM, Sweden, a outsourcing agreement worth $100 million. The idea was to manage the vehicle registration and driver's license database, but no security was imposed. Unauthorized personnel at IBM subsidiaries in Eastern Europe had access to it all. Information about the subway system in Stockholm, ports, bridges, the identities of people working undercover for the Swedish police and the Swedish security service, names of people working undercover for intelligence in the Swedish armed forces. And this was all emailed <laughs> in plain text. And then when they realized their error having emailed all this information outside of the country, they fixed it by sending a subsequent email saying, oh, some of that information we sent you is classified. Here's the classified information. Could you please delete it? Making it, of course, a lot easier to sift through all that data. <laughs> Good news. The recipe for IKEA's meatballs has been preserved. It was not in that database. Thank you for pointing that out. Quick cast in our chat room. Uh, it, is, it is considered the worst example of, government, of a government data breach in history. Um, there, there's nothing to do about it. Uh, the data is out there. Now, it's not clear whether any of it has made its way outside of IBM's servers. But <laughs> uh, I think it was so poorly handled that it, it's, if it isn't, it's just good luck. At least three unauthorized people in the Czech Republic had full access to the database, meaning they could easily copy it. The uh, new director of the transport agency, yes, she was fired, the original director. The new director has said it will take until this fall to secure all the leaked information. Um, the, Brit the Swedish Secret Service, SAPO they call it, had in two years ago said, you got to stop with this outsourcing deal, but everybody ignored them. Uh, so the, the woman who did it, uh, the, the head of the Swedish transport agency, Maria Agren, was, was fired. And, uh, you know, she was punished. She was fined uh, two weeks uh, pay for being careless with sensitive information. So, and si oh, by the way, sidestepping existing laws designed to protect security, privacy, and details surrounding personal identity data. There you have it. Uh, so now I, I, I hesitate to say that this is an indictment of the cloud. It's just if you're going to put stuff in the cloud, you're going to have to be careful about it because the cloud isn't like some magical fairyland that's secure and private. It's, in fact, just somebody's computers, in this case, in, in the Czech Republic. And uh, you probably would want to secure that and uh, be pretty careful about it. Wow. People with protected identities can be traced. Armored vehicles, missing vehicles. When and where the transport of valuables and money are scheduled. <laughs> uh Ms. Ogren had sidestepped the privacy laws, meaning that IBM Sweden had free reign to give access to this data any, to anybody uh, they wanted to. And uh, the project manager for the outsourcing agreement admitted during a testimony, quote, he had no knowledge whatsoever of how to ensure security. IBM Sweden could not be reached for comment, according to the New York Times. Well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. That, but she got fined. She got fined two weeks pay. $8,500. It uh, was not insignificant. So. <laughs> wow. 8888-ASK-LEO. Uh, if you uh, have a comment, a question, it's a calls. And I just, I got sidetracked because I've been reading this story. And I, I just, I'm flabbergasted. Flabbergasted. 
But we will uh, get back to the calls in uh, just a little bit. Our show today brought to you by those great folks at Carbonite. This is a good time to mention that if you're going to back up data, you might want to use an encrypted service. <laughs> encrypted on the way, encrypted in place. That's Carbonite online backup. Maybe Sweden should consider a call to Carbonite at this point. Carbonite is uh, backing up so many homes, so many businesses all over the world because they're the best. They're affordable. They're easy to use. And, of course, security is paramount with Carbonite. But that doesn't mean you don't have access to your data. You can get to it any time. Just log on to your Carbonite account on any computer or use their apps. There's your stuff. You can verify it's there. And should the worst happen, and I don't just mean fire, theft, uh, acts of God, human error. That's probably the most common. I mean ransomware, viruses, malware. You got your data. It's there. It's safe. It's protected in the Carbonite data centers. And you can get it back anytime. I want you to try it out. It's free to try. Go to Carbonite.com. Uh, if you use my name, Leo, as the offer code during your free trial, you don't need to give him a credit card, but give him my name, Leo. That way you'll get two months free with purchase. you got to back it up uh, to get it back. Do it right with Carbonite. And by the way, yes, encrypted on the way to Carbonite servers, encrypted on the servers. So your data is safe. 8888-ASK-LEO. We get back to the phones and your calls in just a moment. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Well, hey, 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 how are you today? Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. Time to talk computers, the internet, home theater, digital photography, smartphones, smart watches, computer security, privacy online. We do a lot of that these days. Oh, yeah. 8888-ASK-LEO is the phone number, 888-827-5536. That's toll-free from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. The website, techguylabs.com. Jerry, thank you for hanging on all the way from Hatfield, Pennsylvania. Hi, Jerry. Hello, Leo. Hello. Yeah, that article you wrote, uh, you read about Sweden is a terrorist daydream. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Now, I'm, I, you know, what they don't say is whether th anybody compromised this data. The problem is the way it was stored, there's no way of knowing. Mm -hmm. So somebody wow. could easily have, have it, and we wouldn't know they have it. And so that's terrifying. If I were in Sweden right now, I wouldn't be happy. Okay, well, let's get to my terif terrifying. Okay. Leo, I, uh, I run a dart tournament, and I wrote a great spreadsheet for it. Uh, and I can, uh, I can do it on my cell phone, but it's too cumbersome, so I want to buy a laptop uh, to cast it onto a TV screen using my Microsoft uh, wireless adapter, which works pretty well. Okay. And I'm looking to buy a laptop. Now, I hear you talk a lot about Acer and Asus. Yep. And I'm yep. thinking about getting one with two different drives in it, a solid-state and a hard drive. And if I'm, not, if I'm correct, the solid-state drive is great for reading from, but not constantly writing to. No, that's not true anymore. I, I think that no. that was when, when, when we first got these SSDs, solid-state drives, they're the same. They're kind of the same memory you use in your camera and so forth. When we first got them, there was some concern that there would be issues writing to them, but they have very sophisticated software called wear leveling software that protects the cells. Uh, now that we've 
been using them for some years, and I had I I went to SNSD just because the speed was such an improvement. And I've been using them for years. I don't. I think the, uh, the there's there's no evidence that they are any way less reliable than spinning drives. In fact, I would say it's quite the opposite because they're no moving oh, parts. Yeah. They are more reliable. So I would have no hesitation in buying a laptop with just solid state drives. In fact, that's all I do. Okay. Even desktops. Uh, Leo, I don't buy spinning drives anymore. The only place I put a spinning drive is in my big network attached storage devices, which are designed to do gosh. big backup and stuff. And they, and that's just because they're cheaper. Well, could you give me some uh, models of either the Acer or the Asus? Because that's what you talk about a lot. Yeah, I like the A. I think Asus systems are very good. Um, and, but I've also owned the Acer. It, it, you know, one of the things about Acer, uh, they make both, or at least used to make both consumer grade, i.e., cheap and junky laptops, mm -hmm. and higher end, expensive but reliable laptops. And I always recommend if you're going to do that, you're going to spend a little more, get the fancier laptop. Mm -hmm. Asus also makes very, very nice uh, laptops. Uh, Really, the question more is what you're looking for. Is it thin and light? Is it, I mean, what, what, what would make a laptop perfect for you? Well, being my, my, uh, my desktop, my gateway died after about 15 years. <laughs> It'll be better than your gateway, I promise you. Well, what, what, what I'm looking for, being I don't play games. Games are out, although I'm going to run a game on it. Uh, and I don't do any kind of social media. Because that's the type of guy I am. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you surf, do you use a, you use a browser? You surf the net. I do. And you use Microsoft Office. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's obviously because Excel, uh, use that Excel spreadsheet, right? Well, I can go either. I can go with transfer it to Google Sheets or Polaris Office. I can go a lot of different ways. Yeah. And but do you expect to have this laptop as long as you had <laughs> that old uh, gateway computer? Are you hope hoping to hold on to it for a decade? Why not? <laughs> Why not? All right, so one of the things that's an issue with, uh, I would say certainly with Acer and perhaps with Asus, is that once these laptops go out of service after a couple of years, that's that on that. So I'm going to point you in a different direction, something a little more robust that you can get parts for and you can often repair easily. Also, as it happens, a company that makes laptops that do sometimes have solid state and spinning drives, not unusual, and that's called Lenovo. People are mad at me because they say, oh, Leo, you don't like Lenovo. Remember they put Superfish uh, spy software on their Lenovo laptops? And it's true they did on the consumer ones, but I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the ThinkPads. This is a, a design that uh, Lenovo bought from IBM and is still primarily designed and made by the same people that made them for IBM. The ThinkPads are a different kettle of fish entirely. And I just bought my... Well, it just depends. I think I think you're going to want a simpler one. You're not going to need the X1 Carbon, which is their high-end, super light, fairly expensive. 
Uh, I think you can get a ThinkPad in the T series. These are the Office Productivity ThinkPads, and the nice thing about them is they've got screws on the back. You can take out the screws. You can replace the keyboard. You can replace the hard drive. You can replace the screen. And there's a very brisk business in、uh, replacing these devices. So. I I would not hesitate to、uh, to take a look at ThinkPads. I'm a big fan. You don't have to get the the T series is、uh, I think what they what they call their、uh, high end business laptops. But that sounds kind of what you're looking for. But you can you can get a less expensive、uh, line as well. They have the uh, the uh, E line and the L line. But I think I think Lenovo ThinkPads might be a good. They're also built like trucks. Their mil spec. Take a look at a 450, 460. I just bought a 470. Those are marvelous machines. Hey Leo. Yeah.、Uh, now, being I'm, I am casting to a TV. I listened to a, pr- a previous caller saying that you can only cast to one TV at a time. Yeah. Even though with Windows 10 you can have multiple screens. Am I correct with that? Yeah, but that's those are hardwired screens. Okay, so there's just no way I could I could cast well, two different screens. What technology are you going to use? DLNA? What are you going to use? Are you going to use wide? Why I call it wide? I Intel hates well, it. Wireless, wireless display, adap- a Microsoft wireless adapter. Yeah,、uh, no, I don't. I'm not familiar with those. I was talking about Chromecast specifically.、Uh, let me ask the chat room: Is it possible with a single Windows laptop to、uh, to stream to more than one? Uh, monitor, generally not, but it might be、With、different screens. Yeah, or more than one screen. I would, I just get a splitter or something like that and do it.、Um, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> They actually make ThinkPads with projectors built in. Believe it or not. Well, this is in a bar, so it's. <laughs> well, now wait a minute. Now I gotta correct myself because Scooter X, our chat, one of our chat moderators, has found a、um, device called the Google Chromecast Streaming Media Player that will stream to multiple devices. So this is some specialized software. We'll put a link to、okay. uh, the website TroyPoint. dot com. That lets you Chromecast. I haven't tried it to multiple devices, so maybe maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm uh, mistaken in this. So that would be a good solution for you for sure. Now the Chromecast, I have to say, is not designed for Microsoft Excel. You can Chromecast your screen. You'd probably be using、uh, Microsoft's own、uh, technology to 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 do the whole screen. Um, you can get. Somebody said I ordered a refurbished ThinkPad 420 last Friday for 175 bucks. That's with the one with one of the great keyboards. ThinkPad still makes good keyboards. The nice thing about it, Boz、uh, bought this, is that you can go online and get parts. And there's a brisk business in the、uh, kind of ThinkPad upgrades and so forth. So I think that you're if you got a docking station, think、uh, Lenovo offers docking stations. You could drive multiple wired monitors. And we'll keep looking for a good solution uh, for some. For, I don't know if DLNA will do this, uh, or uh, Windows calls it Miracast. Yeah, projecting your PC or mobile device with Miracast. Well, we'll see. We're going to see if we can find some articles for you. We'll put them in the show notes. TechGuyLabs dot com. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy.
Leo Laporte, the tech guy. I don't want to interrupt this song. It's too good. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number. 888-827-5536. But I must. I must. And I shall continue with Peter in Escondido, California. Hi, Peter. Hi. Yeah, I'm blind. And um, on Thursday, I was coming back from doing errands. I checked my echo. I said it was not connected to the Internet. Uh. Uh, then I went to um, my uh, to the Internet on my computer and said it was not connected. Uh-oh. So I thought, and just was working, and then I unplugged it, and then I lost everything, and, and there's nothing there. Well, I mean, the first thing to suspect, and I understand the challenge if you can't see, uh, the first thing to check is your uh, uh, internet connection, obviously, and then your uh, router. I, yeah, I, I called my um, my uh, internet provider. They came this morning, they checked and got it all hooked up, but um, nothing's on the computer itself, and that, uh, that's not working, but Echo... Was working this morning after the guy left. Okay, so he came and he fixed your internet, and now the echo's fine, the internet's fine, but the computer died. Now I don't think this has anything to do with the internet going no. down. It sounds like it was just a coincidence that the computer died at the same time as you lost your internet. Right. Oh, uh, although did the guy, did the tech when he came out tell you why you'd lost the internet? Uh, I think I, it was kind of my mistake because I was vacuuming that morning, and I guess oh, he just knocked it loose or something. Yeah, okay. and but I don't know. But I had Jaws then. And then when I unplugged it, so I thought, okay, maybe I could reconnect by unplugging the computer from the outlet. Oh, okay. That's so, okay. <laughs> so, th- so they are somewhat related, maybe. So uh, here's what I, my thinking was oh, maybe you had a power surge that knocked out the router and that might have damaged the computer. Uh, no, you just kicked out the plug or you kicked out the connection. The guy re- reconnected it and everything's working fine. Thank you, internet service provider. But the computer, it sounds like maybe in an effort to diagnose this, you 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 might have damaged it. You just did you just unplug it? Yeah, just unplugged it from the outlet while it was running. Uh, no, no, it was running. It was just on. It's um. Did you shut it down first? No. You just unplugged it. Right. So it was while it was running. So that's my concern now. It, it is possible. Um, it, it doesn't mean you broke the computer, but it is possible if you if you uh, if the power goes out while the computer is doing something. Uh, well, the only thing was on was just on its like uh, start menu. You know. Yeah, but you don't know what the computer is doing. For instance, Windows from time to time will index the hard drive. Oh, okay. You don't know if the computer is doing anything. In fact, it almost always is doing something. And if it just happened, that was writing to the drive when you unplugged it. Huh? That's a rather a abrupt termination and it could have spewed ones and zeros across your hard drive or just in an area where it needs to be you know intact for it to boot up so the chances are what happened is that the the hard drive itself didn't get physically damaged but the data on it might have gotten messed up and what do i do about that then well um you know what? If it were me at this point, what I would do is I would probably try to fix Windows. What version of Windows are you running? Seven. Okay, Windows Ten has some nice restore features, but Seven does not have all of those. You may still have it. Do you have data on that computer? You need documents you've created, pictures, things like that. Uh, nothing. The only thing I have on there is um, you know, Jaws, and I have Open Book things. Like that. Yeah, and you have the disks to reinstall that software. Yes. Uh, did somebody set this up for you? Okay. So chances are at this point that person or somebody like that person is going to need to get back in there and set it up again because I think what you're going to have to do is reinstall Windows. You're going to have to you want to wipe the drive or at least check the drive. Uh see if it's okay. If it's not, 
there's some there's a, a whole hierarchy of things that can go wrong with a hard drive at the very lowest level there could be physical issues if you drop a laptop for instance the hard drive's head could get bent or it could accidentally strike the drive you know on, on physical spinning drives the the read head the right head never actually touches the drive it floats a few microns above the drive but if it strikes the drive it could gouge a little piece out of it so those are physical errors on the hard drive those you can't fix obviously you can route around it you cannot use that area of the drive all drives every single hard drive made has permanent damaged areas and the manufacturer will map them out there's actually a bat what they call a bad sector table a table of areas not to use on the hard drive all hard drives come with it and so software can be used to to find those bad sectors and say don't use this one in fact before you go back to using that hard drive it'd probably be worth running something like Spinrite, which is a low-level drive in you know restore, restoration and maintenance utility that actually tries to read every single sector on the drive if it finds a sector it can sort of read. So your, your operating system gives up after a while. The operating system will only try to read a sector a few times. That can really slow the system down. It might read it eventually successfully, but it's slowed down trying to read those sectors. That's why a lot of computers get slow over time. It's just that, you no know, hard to read sectors. But uh, so a Spinrite finds a sector that it can't read readily, that it has to try hard. It will try very hard. And if it can get the data off that sector, it will move it, and then it will add that sector to the bad sector table. If it finds a sector that's so damaged it can't read it, it will also it won't be able to move the data, but it will at least make it in the bad sector table. So when you run a program like Spin, right, and you get it from GRC.com, it's about ninety bucks uh, on a on a. It might take a long time. I've heard it taking days, sometimes weeks, sometimes yes, months. At that point, you might say, oh, I'm going to spend the 90 bucks on a new hard drive. <laughs> but if there's data on there you really, really want, you might want to run it on there. That will, in the end, reduce the effective size of the hard drive by taking some of it, usually a small amount of it. It doesn't need to be much to screw up a hard drive. Take some of it and say, you can't use this area. Move everything it can to a good area and go on. So that may be the level that you need to operate at. There may be a, there are higher levels, though. For instance, uh, there is a portion of the hard drive that's used for starting up the computer. The boot record. Uh, the way a computer starts up, you turn it on, power surges into the computer. There's some software in a, a non-volatile memory. We call it firmware. Now, it's not soft. It's not hard. It's firm. It, it, and that firmware, we used to call it the BIOS. Remember that? The basic input-output system. Now they call it UEFI. That firmware is the first glimmerings of intelligence. It goes, hello? It checks its stuff, makes sure everything's working, and then says, is there a hard drive? Yes, I'm a hard drive. Good. And it passes control over to the hard drive and loads the boot record. And that's software on the hard drive that then loads the operating system, and now you're good to go. So there's this chain of command. If your boot record's damaged, the BIOS goes, hello, anybody there? And gets nothing or gets garbage and it won't boot. And I suspect that's, you know, the air, it, the order of stuff that's happened. Maybe the boot record's fine, but some key Windows files aren't. So the computer will start to load. It might even say loading Windows and then fail because it can't load a system file that it needs because that got damaged. So there's this whole hierarchy of damage. How to figure out what's wrong, a little more tricky. Somebody with some tools can do it. I think you need to go back to the people who set your system up and say, help me. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Leola Porti Tech Guy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time once again for Chris Markwart, Photo Guru. Chris is the host of the Tips from the Top Floor podcast, leads amazing photo workshops at discoverthetopfloor.com, and is a mighty fine photographer in his own right. He joins us every week to help us become better photographers. Hello, Chris. Hey, Leo. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you? I am doing great. What are we going to finishing, finishing a manuscript right now. Are so. you? What's your, so the last book was all about film photography, which I love, by the way. It's a beautiful book. Yep. Beautiful Next one's going to be about wide-angle photography. Wide-angle? Well, a whole book on wide-angle? So first, book on wide what, angle. You, what is wide-angle photography? Well, it, it's in the name, right? So you look through the camera and you see a very wide angle of view. So you see a lot of things what in is the, the frame. Human eye? What is the angle the human eye sees? Oh, the human eye, the combination of our two eyes, we're roughly 180 degrees. So you can measure that if you, st if you stretch out your arms and you right. move them to the side and then wiggle your fingers. And then when you stop seeing the wiggling, that's pretty much the angle that you can see. Which is almost it's 180 degrees. But when right. we say wide angle for a camera lens, it's not nearly that wide, is it? No, of course not. What we're looking at is anything that is below what we call the normal focal length. So you have a 50 millimeter on your full frame camera. That's the normal kind of middle ground. And then everything that has a shorter focal length, like let's say a 24 millimeter, for example, um, that would have a wider angle. Or if you have a point the, and shoot when you, uh, the, the, the telephoto thing goes W to T, wide to telephoto, all the way to the W right. is And is the, the telephoto is pretty much just, a, 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 that's the, the narrow angle. So you have a wide angle yeah. and you have a narrow angle. And you just see a very tiny bit of the, of the view, but very much enlarged. Large. That's the, what a telephoto is. The fun is. thing, the art of photography, part of it anyway, is that you're eliminating stuff. You're creating a frame around things and focusing people's point of view on whatever's inside that <laughs> it's, frame. And it's on you to decide what you put in that frame, where you put it, what you leave out of the frame. That's yeah. often the way more important decision. And one of the things that you normally don't do, most photographers will say, oh, how can you do this, is shooting portraits using wide angle. What? No, because it makes people's noses so big. That's that's one of the reasons that people don't like that because it does exaggerate. It's not flattering. Depth. So yeah, what what a wide angle lens does is in in addition to showing you a lot, it makes close things look bigger and things that are far, that are far away look further away. So the 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 size dis the, the size difference between things things that are close and things that are far is exaggerated. So you'll have the nose being closer to the camera, being big, and then the ears being very small. Or if you take a photo, let's say of a person from a high perspective they, they will have a big head but very tiny feet so why would you want to do that funny. that sounds mean well now <laughs> the thing is <laughs> you have to watch out for a few things but there are some advantages in using wide angle because you can now all of a sudden include things that you couldn't before right. what we look at when we shoot portraits is often a, a slight telephoto lens or zoom in a bit and then what you get is a very kind of narrow cut of that person's head and and the background is nicely out of focus and that's usually what we want we want to 
to eliminate distractions in the background right. and we do this by putting by, by by throwing them out of focus in what we call the bokeh but in fact, when you, you see that. a portrait like that with you know just a person's head and everything else is kind of blurry in the background it looks professional you go oh that's a professional portrait and that's and that is one kind of portrait but then there is what we call an environmental portrait and that includes the environment that might be I don't know, a, a, a football player in a football stadium, for example, ah. and you want to see that stadium, you want to see Puts what's going on around, or yeah. or a scientist in the lab, and you want to see their test tubes and machinery in the background, that kind of stuff. So that's a different kind of portrait, and a wide-angle lens will help you do this. But you have to be careful. As I said, it exaggerates those sizes between things that are at different distances from the camera. So if you have part of the subject that are closer than others, like for example, their feet, if you take a low perspective, their feet will be very big and their, their head will be very tiny. So you'll have to make sure to compose that in a way that that is not the case. Unless, well, unless you want you're going some for the comical circus, effect. Yeah, the circus sideshow shot. Yeah. Dan Arbus <laughs> you, you kind can, of uh, photography. Yeah. I mean, and, and that and that is perfectly fine if that is what, what your goal is. Just and then just don't you can show your goal by using a picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they if they are in it, then they <laughs> that's won't be fine. flattered, yeah. But the real interesting thing really about shooting portraits with wide angle is context, context, context. You will have more in the shot that can help you explain and set the scene for that yeah. person, set that yeah, person that into a context. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, if you look at old Dutch uh, painters, for example, what they used to do often is they included uh, the light source, a window yes. in the frame. So all of a sudden that light on that person had a motivation, had a reason to be there. It was not, wasn't just light out of nowhere. It was light that came from that window. And wide angle allows you, for example, to include light sources and to motivate light. So that's another reason. Yeah. If you think of the Vermeer, he was very famous. Oh, Vermeer is amazing. For yeah. the, for including all of the room and then the light and the, and it gave you a, yeah, it was all about, uh, putting the person in context, wasn't it? Now, now there's one thing, <laughs> very, very careful about where you place that person in a wide angle shot, because what happens in a wide angle lens is that towards the edge of the frame, towards the, the corners and the edge, you will get, um, you will get distortion. Things will be elongated. Round shapes will turn into eggs. So you will turn a person's head into an egg head. And that's probably not what you want. So just be careful. That's Can you also, compensate by the way, for that with software after the fact? Can you like fix it? Yeah, but it never really looks that nice. <laughs> um, but but that is that is what gives away, for example, a group shot that was taken with a wide angle because the photographer didn't have a lot of space to go backwards. Like if you take a group shot in a small room, you have to be very close. You take a really wide angle and then you will see the people in the heads and the further you go out, the more egg shape there will be. So <laughs> You, 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 like you can fun. tell. Well, you can, you can tell. Well, may, maybe you take that group shot and you put the people on the edges that you don't like, and then you know. I think it would be interesting. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong on this, but if you wanted to become better at composition, and particularly thinking about wide angle, to look at the old masters, to look at these paintings, Absolutely. not photography, but paintings, and think about how they compose them, why they compose them that way, and what you know, what's pleasing about it, what's uh, you know, why, what's the story here, and maybe I mean, in general, if you. That. If you want to become a good visual artist, you have to look at visual art, you have to look that at painting, yeah. you have to look at photography. Those things are very closely related and um, get a few coffee table books, good photography, good art, and yeah, analyze it, try to find out what works, what doesn't work, and try to find out why it works and why it doesn't work. Vermeer is going to be my new study so I can study this wide angle. Have you seen the documentary, Tim's Vermeer? I know Tim very well. Uh, Tim, Check it out. Yeah, he, uh, he deduced that uh, Vermeer was using a photo optical technique a light box to do his yeah. paintings, create, recreated one of his own, and in fact, recreated a very famous Vermeer painting, one that what no one can see hanging in Buckingham yeah. Palace. It's a great story, <laughs> and he's still doing it, by the way. Uh, I talked just the Wonderful. other day to some people who were working with him. So I got a new camera. My wife very kindly, uh, gave, not that I need a new camera, 
But uh, she she gave me a very fancy camera for a gift because we're going uh, to France in the fall. And and she has, like I do, learned from you that one should never get a new camera and then travel immediately, but get one a few months ahead of time and practice with it. Take your time, get so used to I it. So I need yep. to practice. What's our assignment this week? I want to take some pictures for our assignment. The assignment is joy, and we are going to review that next joy. week. Oh, I have one week. Joy. You all have one week. Take a picture illustrating the word or concept joy, tag it with the word joy and upload it to Flickr, our tech guy group on Flickr. Uh, and uh, and we will have a review of the three most interesting shots with Chris Markhorn next week. You'll find more of Chris's work and workshops at discoverthetopfloor.com. Thank you, Chris. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. How you doing? I am well. What's up in Coachella? Uh, besides the temperature. Uh, <laughs> That's the right answer. What can I do for you? Uh, well, I, too, am a fan of the the Echo. You see, I, too, am blind as well as the caller a few, few calls back. Uh-huh. And I found this Echo to be a godsend. I bet. You know, I don't know, but I bet for uh, people, blind people, the Echo and, and all of these things where you can talk to them and they talk back to you are great. I mean, you're used to having the computer talk to you using a screen reader like JAWS. But uh, having a computer you can talk to, that's awesome. I could just use a few little upgrades to make it perfect. Okay, what would you like to do? Uh, to have it where you could use it to make phone calls for one. Yeah, so there, you know, uh, Amazon has added that capability uh, uh, to the Echo, but you can only call other Echoes. So, uh, and I think the reason they did this is because you can make video calls with their newest Echo, Echo Show. And so I think even though they put it on all the Echoes, the dot, the, uh, the old cylinder, the tap, that really the the phone calling thing for uh, Amazon is going to be Echo Show to Echo Show. So you and I've done this with my mom. It's really great. You know, you get the camera, you get the picture, you can see each other. You can even drop in on each other, which is a little weird. Just drop in on on the kitchen and say, "Hi, mom." Oh, I'm not talking. No, but I think it did drop in on my mom. Let me just uh, <laughs> stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> I named my uh, Amazon voice services device. You know, the trigger word is normally that female name, A-L-E-X-A. But I, I so, as, so as not to say that on the air, I've changed the trigger word for mine to Echo. But then that makes it hard for me to talk about the Echo because she's always answering me. Anyway, getting it to call regular phones, I don't think there's a skill for that yet. I think we're going to have to wait for somebody to come along, somebody like Skype or Twilio, one of the voice over Internet services, to create a outbound phone call. Now, of course, Google announced that the Google Home, which is their version of the Echo, this is kind of their, they're going to, they haven't yet added it, the feature to call any phone from the home. Uh, so that will be an interesting device. If really that's all you want to do is make phone calls, I think the $120 uh, Google Home is really a better choice. This is a problem with all of these is there's, you know, there's going to be, Apple's announced a, a Siri device. What do they call it? The Hub. Uh, that'll come out at the end of the year that you'll be able to talk to. Microsoft has partnered with some companies to make devices based on their voice assistant, Cortana. So, but they all have different abilities and different uh, commands. And so I imagine a day where you, your mantelpiece will have three or four of these devices and you'll just have to remember what each can do. That's kind of crazy, right? It'd be sure it'd be nice if one of them did everything you needed to do. But right now the Echo cannot play your, uh, other phones, only the other Echoes. And the Google Home still can't, but is supposedly going to at some point get that feature. Google's also said they'll make the calls free to anywhere in the U.S. and Canada, which is pretty cool. Pretty cool. So much you can do with the uh, the Amazon Echo, including uh, talk to appliances 
turn your thermostat up. I, I would imagine for somebody uh, who has difficulty getting around or difficulty seeing, things like turning up the temperature, turning down the temperature, checking. Uh, you know, I have an oven. I can check the oven with the Echo. Uh, you can turn lights up and down or on or off. You can, uh, I can with my Echo check the front door. I have a doorbell with a camera. The ring can check the front door. Uh, I can check uh, the outside. I have cameras outside. I can check those cameras, see what's going on outside. And if you have the Echo Show, the one with the screen, which I think, by the way, is the one to get, then you can see what's going on out there. So there's a good list of things you can do. The problem is if you come to it with a list of things you want to do, they may not match up. And that's an example. You can't make phone calls with the Echo. I'm sorry. Um, John Long Island, New York is next. Hi, John. Hey, Leo. Big fan from way back. Oh, you're so from nice. year one. From year one. <laughs> wow. 1957, eh? Uh, not quite that far back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a video company similar to Twit, except we don't do our own content. I only do content for customers. Oh, neat. So they come and in like, and you have a studio or do you go to them? Actually, we go to them. We have 40-foot RVs and I keep hearing wow. you talking about how you want to do it I on do a want to uh, do that. stream trailer. I would love to and do that. What's the name of your company? Basically, it's QuickCast. Quick oh, Cast. you sent me an email or somebody sent me an email about you guys. Yeah, I didn't hear anything. I just thought if you were in the New York area, I'd love to host a show live. Oh, that you. would be so cool. Yeah, thank you for sending that email. I don't respond very quickly to email because I get so much, but I did see it. and I, thought I just was... want to show you it was possible to live your dream after all. Yeah, so you have these RVs, and inside you have the equivalent of a television production studio. Yep, the big one has two studios, a sitting studio and a standing studio. We do a lot of green screen and virtual. We use TriCaster also, which is leading to my question. That's the video switcher that we uh, we use here, yeah. So we have so, we're in it, we're, so it's interesting because we're separate halves of a TV operation. So I have the TV station. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The studio where you have the anchors sitting at desks or me sitting at a microphone. And we have fixed cameras because you don't need to move the cameras around for that. And, and, and we stream that out on the internet. You have that other half of the TV station, the... Uh, what they call the electronic news gathering part, where you go out and you do the football game or you do the news story. That's cool. We should get together. Yeah, that'd be cool. A lot of corporate stuff we do, Neat. political stuff. Do you, you do live? It. Yes, we live stream. Because wow. Long Island here has pretty pervasive uh, municipal Wi-Fi. So we have a huge antenna on top, and we steal that, and we can stream from almost wherever we are. That's fantastic. So we're a new company, and as new as we are, we're starting to run out of storage space because I like to keep all this video because sometimes customers call up and say, hey, I want some video remixed or something later on. And I'm wondering how you afford this at Twit because sometimes, you know, with the TriCaster, you have your finished program, but you also want to save all the individual camera streams as well. So this gets really huge. Yeah, that's why we don't. <laughs> <laughs> it would get un, it would get prohibitively uh, huge. So what we do, uh, we're we're wasteful. We don't save everything. In fact, you know, you, the funny thing is, uh, broadcast operations, even networks, didn't. There's no copy of the Super Bowl first Super Bowl. There's no copy of Johnny Carson's first Tonight Show because while they did record those, they didn't save the tapes. They reused them. Uh, uh, 
So I honor your desire. And I think nowadays it's probably more affordable. Uh, my friend Alex Lindsay, who does similar stuff to you uh, with his company, Pixel Core, they just buy hard drives and they're cheap. And they're- Alex actually helped me out in the early days with some consulting of what we should buy. So- so I, I think know we always talk about the three, two, one backup method, and that seems like just an impossible. You task, can't. You can't have three copies. One copy. This stuff is too much. So he'll he'll have a project. He'll have it all on hard drives, and he'll wrap those. At least I think he's. I don't know. This is what he used to do. I don't know what he does today. But wrap those hard drives in bubble wrap and put them in a storage locker. And if he ever needs it, of course you have to have a catalog where everything is. He can get to it. Chances are, and you know this perfectly well, those drives will never again be accessed. That's right. just, but he has to do it in case a client calls and says, "Hey, well, it could mean money, it could mean income or revenue, right? You know? Or, or what, maybe you're covering, you know, uh, maybe you're working for Entertainment Tonight, and you've got uh, a real estate developer named Donald Trump, and you just happen to have some <laughs> microphone recordings as he's walking around. Those could be very valuable in years to come. So, yeah. a lot of this stuff is obviously is saved, but um, you'd have to have a lot of money to save it all. We don't. What we do is. Uh, anything that isn't part of the show, we discard. We record it uh, on the TriCaster, and uh, we we have a crazy system. I don't I don't know if if you're interested in the details. Probably nobody in the show uh, in the audience is listening is, is listening is interested. Sorry, audience. I, w- I will give you the details at some point. But basically, we record the TriCaster. Our switcher has a hard drive. It's a computer, so we recorded that for rerun purposes. But then we make uh, recordings for editing purposes. We actually record to external drives and and. and sneaker net them over to the editor we used to have a big network storage device a san very expensive so that everything was connected via fiber optics that proved not to be so robust and not necessary but once we edit it down we save what we call a mezzanine copy a high quality version of the edited version and we store that in the cloud on our our cashfly our partner cashfly servers but we don't have we don't keep it locally for very long uh, but remember, what I'm making is like a newspaper. It's fish wrap. <laughs> it doesn't have much life. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, 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 how are you today? Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. Time to talk computers, the internet, home theater, digital photography, smartphones, smart watches, the internet uh, security, internet privacy, video. We talk about anything with a chip in it, all kinds of technology at 8888-ASK-LEO. We were, I was talking uh, before the break with John. He runs a, a video production company on Long Island, a, a mobile video production company, which is really cool. I don't think he could have done this five years ago, let alone 20 years ago. He drives around in a camper. They've got cameras. They've got lights. They've got switchers. They've got editors. They've got the whole thing in the camper. Quick-cast.com if you're in Long Island. I want to give him a plug. But one of the things he wanted to know is, well, how, how do you save all this old stuff? And I can't. We, we, have, we create every day uh, on my podcast network, because it's not just this show. We do about 25 different shows. Every day we probably create about eight hours of content every day, seven days a week. And each of those hours is probably a gigabyte or more of, uh, of video, maybe much more, actually, probably. 
and uh, we just would run out of space very quickly. And and so, and I, even the networks, you know, didn't used to save stuff. I guess they probably continue to save stuff. I know when I worked for uh, Tech TV for six years, that was the cable channel. It was all technology all the time in the late '90s and early 2000s. They saved the tapes. They were <laughs> they recorded uh, each camera had a. Uh, DVC Pro tape in it, and they saved all the tapes. I think there was a project at one point to put those digital tapes, they were digital, but they were tapes, onto hard drives. And I'm told that they still have a storage locker somewhere in Southern California with all the hard drives and tapes. I'm sure they'll never get used, but they exist. We actually asked them if we could have them or at least have access, make copies of them, because I'd like to get some of those old shows, and they said no. We were never able to get them. So not only did they, did they save them, they don't give anybody access to them. I don't know what they're, what they're worth. But then John said an interesting thing, which I wanted to mention. YouTube. YouTube, uh, people are uploading to YouTube all the time, right? What was the, what's the latest uh number of hours of video a minute it was something like a thousand hours of video a minute just some huge number but that's not all they don't just allow you to take all the uploads and you know all your video and put it up there they also then process them and they process them in unbelievable ways they make multiple copies i think it's Last time I checked, 20 different copies of your video, one for a smart, you know, smartphone, one probably for a Nintendo Game Boy, one for a big screen TV. They make copies in all sizes and all qualities because when you go to YouTube on one of those devices, you want a video that's going to work on that device and it's going to, you know, not use too much bandwidth, going to use a little bit of bandwidth to give you a decent picture. And in order to do that, they have to do something called transcode. So they take your original video. They transcode it a couple of dozen different ways, and then they store all of that forever. <laughs> it's unimaginable. Facebook does something similar. We live in such interesting times. Uh, the infrastructure for companies like YouTube and Facebook are, is unimaginable. The number of computers they have, servers, hard drive storage, and on and on and on. Of course, bandwidth is I, I imagine there's somebody out there who can imagine it, but to me, unimaginable. I cannot fathom how they do this. And if if Facebook doesn't pop up in three seconds, we go, hey, what's going on? Facebook is down. <laughs> if it does, if you can't just watch any video on YouTube right away, it's what's going on? It's amazing what they do. It's amazing what they do. 8888-ASK-LEO. And here I am just doing a little old radio show. That's it. Paul in Sunset Beach, California. Hello, Paul. Leo Laporte here. Hello, Mr. Laporte. Thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Thank you for calling. What can I do for you? I'm having issues with uh, trying to log into my Facebook account. Uh-oh. And this is something for my business. I own a little restaurant in Long Beach, California, and I've had a Facebook page there for maybe about six, seven years. About a year ago, I was trying to re-log into it, update some information on it, and one thing led to another. It kept on locking me out. I had to try and go through the process to reset. Ended up even having to send my ID in and my business license, and 
it's been about maybe 10 or 11 months and I just am still not able to get into my business Facebook account. I was just wondering if you had any suggestions. Well, you've talked to Facebook, obviously, and uh, this is the problem with a giant behemoth with two billion, with a B, users. Good luck if you're with one in the two billion uh, trying to get your site up. I have no advice for you other than what you've already done, which is contact Facebook. Uh, this is something important, though, for businesses to understand. Certainly, you need a presence on Facebook. I'm not saying you don't. But you don't control that. That isn't your site. That's Facebook's site. And if Facebook takes you down or doesn't give you access to it or messes it up in some way, there's really not a lot of recourse. That's why you always have to have your own website, you know, yourbusiness.com, which you control, not some third party, not some consultant, but you control. You can use a third party or consultant, but make sure when they register your domain name, they do it in your name, that the website is hosted on a company that knows your name, not just their name, because you, you need to be able to access it. And if they go belly up or disappear, you need to be able to call that company and say, I'm the owner of this website and, uh, and I want the keys. I need to control it. I'll hire a new consultant. But when you're on a platform like, and frankly, YouTube's like this too, uh, YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, you need to be there. I'm not saying you don't need to be there, but I, but just understand you're not riding on your own. This is not your website. That's a Facebook page that Facebook owns, not you. So, so important. Uh, and I, there's no recourse for you except to continue to pester Facebook and hope that they respond. When a company has that many users, I don't know how they can respond. I really don't. Um, it's just, it's kind of, it's just kind of mind boggling. YouTube, I mean, is what we've been talking about is just the, the size of this. YouTube started uh, Valentine's Day 2005. So it's more than 12 years old now. Um, I, 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 no one has ever said, Google doesn't say how much storage they use. But imagine 12 years of videos on YouTube. 300 hours are uploaded every minute. That's the stat I was looking for. 3.25 billion hours of video watched on YouTube every month. This is actually a year old. Um, it's mind-boggling. More than a billion views a day on YouTube. That's mobile. And it's doubling every year. Facebook, same kinds of numbers. Just uh, they just they just announced two billion users. Actually, they had very good results. Made a lot of money. Um, you know, advertising revenues up almost by a hundred percent. They're just these companies. Uh, we've never seen anything like it, in my opinion. There is no. It's it's not human scale. Just it's just a uh, just amazing. Uh, I'm not sure what you can do if you're, you know, Facebook does not respond to you. I don't know where else you can go. I mean, there is, I mean, we'll put a link in the show notes to the <laughs> the page that you've surely been to. Why can't I log into fa Facebook on my business page? 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Oh, interesting. Maybe these are, uh, so, you, oh, yeah. Okay. So you have to. And I presume you did this. You linked your business page to your personal account. That's the only way you can do it now. The old business-only pages are now referred to as gray pages, and they say have been phased out. Oh, that's an interesting link. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Ooh. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 8888-ASK-LEO. Seth is next from Long Beach. Hi, Seth. Hi there, Leo. Welcome. So, uh, you mentioning about storing the video prompted, um, I used to work in the movie industry, and so contractually they were obligated to hold on to footage that they received for X number of years. And one of my previous places is now up to 10 petabytes worth of storage <laughs> and growing. And it's digital now. Yes. I and mean, the, in, in years gone by, and actually... Receiving 4K files and, yeah. This is, a, this is a problem because, of course, old film stock, celluloid, was is explosive. Turns into nitroglycerin after a while. And so old movies, movies from the 20s, 30s, even 40s, that film stock's decaying and is actually now dangerous. Yes, very much. <laughs> so digital, at least you could put it on a hard drive. Um, but I, it seems to me, I, I've seen, for instance, uh, they were trying to restore, what was it? Was it The Godfather or, or Apocalypse Now? Something where there was a lot of footage. And when they did restore it, they couldn't use the f real 70 millimeter uh, masters. They had to use old work, video, work film and stuff because a lot of it hadn't been saved. So, yeah. so not everything is saved, right? Correct, correct. Although with digital, um, I guess so, it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of a lot of movement trying to go to digital, but then, of course, the companies that have to maintain it have insane amounts of storage. Well, and then you have people like Quentin Tarantino shooting on 70-millimeter film stock. And where is he going to store that? <laughs> I presume that eventually it gets digitized and stored in that form. Eventually. Yeah. Wow. How many petabytes? Uh, they, this one company is up to 10 petabytes. And that's just one company. I, yes. Yes. And that's any footage that they receive, right. um, as well as the footage that they put out because they're post, uh, right. right. <laughs> they're a post process. So they get, they get the, they get the original footage, they post process it, they color it, whatever they do. And then they save their changes as well as the originals. Yeah. Yep. Amazing. So. The amount of store. What do you, what would you estimate? I'm just, maybe you don't know. For a single film, the amount of data created. So nowadays, a single film usually generates um, almost four terabytes. Um, it, if it's um, received, actually, sometimes they receive at 5K, 6K resolution. 
um, and then they process down to 4K. Um, so yeah, typically it's allocated to be about four terabytes per movie. Um, Although if, if you it, think about it, it, you can go out and buy a four terabyte hard drive for a few hundred dollars. I mean, it's not storage has gotten so cheap and widely available that that's not the end of the world, right? Yeah. So the archiving is fine, um, but the live processing is where the real money gets into um, for their storage. Interesting. So. Yeah, because you probably have many more times that uh, amount uh, with with the various edits and so forth. Well, fascinating. I'm so glad you called somebody from the actual film industry. Now, did you have a question too, Seth? Uh, yes, yes. Um, so I have recently um, had to redo my entire network. Um, unfortunately, it got compromised. Um, so I had to buy an actual firewall. Oh, you got hacked? Um, um, well, I'm a systems admin, so I'm a constant target. Oh, yeah. Um, they had uh, Somebody had managed to get a bot scanning my network, oh. and then they they figured out my work network addresses. So um, I upended my entire network. I got a firewall, and I'm kind of using my firewall also as my switch for the moment. Um, I have managed to get all my casting devices working with one exception. My MacBook Air cannot cast to my LG Bravo 6 because my LG is wired. And I've been working on this now for like a week, and I still haven't quite figured out why this is. My iPhone can cast to it. Um, any of my Android can cast to it. Windows can cast to the LG, which I have wired, but my laptop cannot. <laughs> wow. Uh, because it's it's wired, you think? Um, yes. So if I pull the wire and put it onto Wi-Fi, no problem. I can cast to it oh, with no problem. Interesting. And I have another. Are you talking AirPlay just, or are you talking Chromecast? Just out of curiosity. I'm talking specifically Chromecast. Chromecast. Okay. Um, so we've been talking I, a lot today about Chromecast. I probably should explain uh, what Chromecast is. Apple has AirPlay. Windows has Miracast. Google created something called a Chromecast. It's a little device, looks like about like a USB key. Instead of a USB port on it, though, it has an HDMI connector. You plug it into the back of your TV, and then you can, from uh, your computer or more typically your Android device, your iPhone, you can, let's say, fire up Netflix, start watching a movie, and there'll be a little Chromecast icon because the phone will have said, oh, I see, there's a Chromecast, and it will allow you to say Chromecast, take over. The Chromecast starts streaming the Netflix movie. You can even turn your phone off because the Chromecast is doing all the work, but the phone is a, a remote control in effect for that Chromecast. They're cheap. They're 35 bucks. I have them on every one of my TVs. More and more TVs are coming with Chromecast uh, built in. It's a yeah, you know, cast I, capable. I have multiple around the house. Yeah. So it's a very it's an easy, simple technology. It's not really anything Google invented it. All of this stuff is kind of based on DLNA, which is an industry standard, but it but it was a loosely implemented standard that everybody kind of decided to do their own thing, add their own special sauce so there'd be a differentiator, which is a shame. I guess Chromecast works better, though, than Miracast. Uh, AirPlay works the best of the three. So that's an interesting problem you pose because Normally, the way Chromecast works is your phone's not attached. It's on the Wi-Fi network. Your TV's on the Wi-Fi network, and you just communicate with it that way. But yeah, a hardwired TV, out. as you know, 
is still on that network and should be visible. So my yeah, and I've even adjusted all the rules to say, hey, anything from my private network can go from Wi-Fi to the internal ports. See, there's there's versa. where you have some issues because if it were at my house, <laughs> I just had a router that was hardwired to the TV and I was providing Wi-Fi, this wouldn't be a problem. In fact, I do this every day. You, you're a sysadmin. You've got a fancy network. You have switches. You probably, well, you saw, you told me you turned on a firewall. So clearly something's going on, and this is something I can't diagnose for you, that's involving, you're not really on a simple network where you could just Chromecast to your Wi-Fi router, which then says, oh, Chromecast, and the TV's hardwired, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting because, like I said, um, I, I have multiple Chromecasts in the house some of them work and yeah all all of the ones that are on wi-fi work yeah i would look at the lg this is this is really work yeah i got i have to run but uh, so hang on because we got to take a break but clearly this is something to do with your firewall your switches traffic is being blocked for some reason because otherwise this is i think pretty straightforward there's no issue here um so you that's what you've got to investigate leo laporte the tech guy <laughs> or you could do that with your wide-angle lens. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, 8888, ask Leo. Phil on the line from Aurora, Colorado. Hello, Phil. Hi, Leo. Thank you very much for taking my call. I really enjoy your show. Thank you for calling. What can I do for you? Well, um, we, you've been talking a lot today about backup and backup systems, so this might seem a little redundant, but... I was kind of. Uh, I got it. Good joke. Pun there, right? Exactly. <laughs> Redundant. Get it back yeah. up. Yeah. No. Yeah, I got it. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to kind of get your opinion of my backup system, and then I have a particular question about one portion of it. Okay. I have a C. I have a Seagate external drive that I back up to, as well as a Seagate personal cloud NAS. All right. And I just recently started using Carbonite, and I was wondering. I don't know that I've ever. I think you've mentioned Carbonite before, but I wasn't really sure. Yeah, what you think about it. So I was kind <laughs> This of must be a point. setup. Are you kidding me? Carbonite has been a sponsor of this show since 2004. I have never, very, I have very good feelings about Carbonite, but I should say they are a sponsor. So there's a disclaimer. Um, okay. That's the key part of this because you do have local backup. You have redundant local backup, which is great, two, two Seagate hard drives. But what, what the risk there, you, the whole process of this is just imagining disasters and how you would recover from it. So the local hard drives are great because if you throw out a file, well, it's right there. Uh, if uh, a hard your internal hard drive dies, well, you've got all the data backed up twice. In fact, you could even have two drives fail, which is unbelievable likely but could happen and you still got a third copy but the real key here is what if there's a fire what if there's a disaster in the house what if the what if somebody steals your you know everything so that's why you want off-site backup some one place and you know it doesn't have to be carbonite that's a convenient system but there's people uh, who just bring a you know you could take one of those seagates and rotate it take one to work every monday and uh, and, oh, then, okay. and then swap them, right? Bring the other one back the next week. You, you, your worst case scenario then, imagine the disaster, your house burns down, is you might have lost as much as a week of data, depending if it burns down on a Monday or burns down on a Friday. <laughs> but, uh, okay. but so that's, that's 
it's, you know, kind of, I think one of the reasons people don't do this is because we're superstitious. We don't want to think about all the bad things that can happen. But Oh, it's definitely out there. That's, you know, bad things can happen, and malware would be another example. Now, if you got bit by malware, by, uh, let's say, a ransomware virus, it would, chances are, encrypt your data on your hard drive. Are those Seagate drives always mounted to your computer? Yes. So it would see them. And it, it wouldn't even have to go out over a network. It would just see them as mounted drives and go, oh, I'm going to encrypt that data, too. So there's an example of all three of your you know, copies in your house are, are encrypted and gone. So one way to avoid that it was something we call versioning. Depending on what tool you're using to back up locally, version, you can also use versioning locally. The idea is it doesn't erase the previous version. When it backs up a change, it keeps it and maybe keeps several previous versions. Apple's Time Machine does that. That way... Typically, a ransomware is going to encrypt the most recent version, but it might. But if it can't see the previous versions, that's key, by the way. If it can't see the previous versions, it won't encrypt those, and so you can always go back to a good version. Carbonite offers that kind of versioning, but many other backup solutions will do that as well. And certainly, if something's so, offline, if it's if you're, one of those Seagates is at your office, that's not going to get encrypted either. Okay. So, do you recommend periodically, or is what you're saying, I should I should uh, unplug like my Seagate external drive and my personal cloud periodically unplug those? Uh, from my uh, from my uh, well, from my network, well, I would keep one. So your system is good, by the way. I like your system. I would keep one plugged in all the time. You want one backup that you can quickly restore. It's always available, but understanding that that one is going to get encrypted if you get ransomware. So okay. the second one, I wouldn't keep plugged in all the time. I would only plug it in periodically to back up with it. Again, you get a gap now between the first and the second, though, because the second is only going to copy files when you plug it in. The first one is presumably set up to back up anytime there's a change. Right. Or exactly. on, a, on a regular schedule anyway. So you have exactly, to remember yeah. to take the second one, plug it in, back up. You've got to do that regularly enough so that it won't be a tragedy if you do have ma massive data loss on the first two. So this is the kind of scenario you have to think about, the planning you're going to think about. Carbonite okay. is probably enough. Uh, but I, I think, yeah, if you want to be careful... I think not keeping both backup drives connected full time is probably a good idea. You just have to remember that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's yeah. really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, you're welcome. I appreciate the call. Backup is, it's, <laughs> you're not being redundant when you're talking about backup. Although one hopes your backup is redundant. Uh, this is this is an important thing uh, because, well, it's a really good example. It's much like the Swedish, pri you know, privacy breach. This wasn't as big a deal in Sweden when all the data was kept on a computer at the Ministry of Transportation. Somebody would have to hack into that. Now, that could happen. But that's a little harder than just sending it out on the Internet unencrypted to some drive somewhere. But the problem is we have to – all of this stuff is new. Backup is new. We didn't have data on, hard, data on hard drives in the past. We have to think about this in a new way. And uh, it's a good idea to kind of keep an eye on, uh, on what's going on and, and kind of do some scenario role-playing. To think of what could go wrong and then that's what security, by the way, that's what good security experts do all the time. They're very depressing people. They're, <laughs> they're constantly thinking what could go wrong and planning for it. Steve in San Diego. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Steve. Hi there, Leo. Thank you very much for taking my call. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for calling. Um, to remind you, about six, eight months ago, I called you. I'm a Navy dentist. I invented an anti-bad breath toothbrush. I remember, yeah. In fact, I still have mine. Thank you. Well, it's probably time you. to get a new one, isn't it? We have now, um, I wanted to thank you in the sense that you saved me a lot of money because what I did is I contacted several colleges here and I got a couple students using me as a project. So they put me on social media and saved us boatloads of money. So the profits that we make from the sales 
went to the Warrior Foundation. Wow. That's now, fantastic. That's congratulations. That's Thank great. you very much. Being um, enterprising college students, they said, Doc, why don't we take your neutralizer plus anti-bad breath toothbrush and put small ads on the computer? And I said, what do you mean? And he says, look up. He says, when you see little news vignettes at the bottom, there will usually be a couple of, like, little photographs, and you can right. kind of touch them. And More stories, yeah. About how to yeah. clean your car and yeah. such. I don't like those at all. Okay, that's um, what I wanted to know. A couple of companies do those, Outbrain and Taboola. Right. Uh, the idea is that you're just reading some normal editorial content on a normal site. You get to the bottom and, well, who can resist that, you know, there's usually disgusting photos, by the way. Who can, who can resist, or or uh, scantily clad young women? Who can resist, you know, how this amazing uh, scientific discovery of a of a mollusk that will uh, keep you alive another eighty years? You're going to click on it. But people, I think, have learned that those articles are junk. They're link bait. They, I think, increasingly they're clicking on them less. But here's the more significant issue for you, Doc. Okay. It's bad for your reputation. Okay. So what happens is you become down market. People see you as a down market. You don't want that. The best thing you can get is what you got, which is real, genuine word of mouth. Everybody knows that. Even I know it, and I sell advertising to clients. Best kind of you know, sales is for somebody to say, I love this toothbrush. You've got to get it. Or students, that's why social media is so effective, because those are like genuine recommendations. If you're going to buy ads, I would far prefer you to see spending money on Google AdWords, more kind of more legitimate ads than those bottom-of-the-page ads. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Port, the tech guy, 8888. Ask Leo, the phone number, last, uh, last, the waning minutes of the show. C City is on the line from the uh, City of Industry, California. C is from the City of Industry, not C City. Hi, C. Hey, <laughs> I am well. What can I do for you? I had a quick question regarding uh, creating an online dating site. Me and a friend of mine came up with what we think is a good idea, a niche. Oh, good. Now, don't tell me. Don't tell me the niche because we don't want to give it away. No, absolutely not. Okay. And we're obviously short on cash to, to hire a professional. So what would be an alternative that we could use to start up a site? Well, uh, there are plenty of people who will do it for equity if they think it's a good idea. That means they own a stake of the company. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you got boy, you got to be careful with all of this. I'll tell you, um, I don't want to dash your hopes here, but... I will point out that ideas uh, are a dime a dozen. Everybody's got a good idea. The what really makes a difference between a good idea uh, and a, a a product that sells and makes somebody money is it's all about execution. The idea itself is nothing. So uh, it's a good start. <laughs> you need that, but really, in fact, when you talk to venture capitalists, people who give people money for their ideas, very often. They'll say, I didn't really care about the idea. The idea was not what I invested in. What I invested in, this, the more experienced venture capitalists almost say this universally, is the people, the business plan, the smarts, the talents, the ability of the guys behind it, not the idea. Uh, I didn't invest in uh, an Uber because I thought ride sharing was a great idea. First of all, you knew there were going to be a dozen other people doing it. I invested in Travis Kalanick because of his track record, because of his skill set, because of the team that he had assembled, that kind of thing. 
So what you're asking is, in effect, well, I got a great idea. Uh, where do I go? To, how do I go to the next step? And it's not the idea that's going to make a success or a failure. You're going to have to. You, you're already at a disadvantage because you don't have the technical chops to bring that idea to life. There are plenty of people just getting out of computer science uh, programs at universities all over the country who do have the chops and have the ideas. So they're going to write their own uh, first iteration of the idea, what they call a minimum viable product. They're going to hire marketers. They're going to hire staff, a team, customer service representatives. They're going to know how to put a server online and how to keep it up and running. These are, these are, there's a lot of skills involved here. And then they're going to go to an angel investor and say, we need a, you know, a couple of hundred thousand to get to the next step. Maybe get that check. The angel investor. Angel investors are small guys. Might invest in an idea. You might be able to find somebody who's new at it. <laughs> but almost always it's the people. So, yeah, you can go, and there's plenty of places like elance.com. You can go to uh, find programmers. The, it, the programmer's going to write the code, but then somebody else, you're going to have to have a sysadmin to run the servers. Uh, you're going to need a lot of technical skill. And maybe if you just get exactly the right people together, you don't have to pay them. If they're so inspired by your thought that they go, oh, that's such a great idea. There's always the risk, though. Remember the Winklevoss twins? <laughs> Uh, these are a couple of uh, good-looking guys. They were Harvard uh, seniors. They were on the rowing team. They were superstars. You know, you've, you've met them, the, the superstar athlete. And they were identical twins, both gorgeous, both superstar athletes. And they're at Harvard University. I mean, they've got everything going for them. And they had this idea, wow, we should make – Harvard had this printed thing, uh, a book that you would get a, a, as an incoming student. I, I used to – I got one of these when I went to college. With, with every all the freshmen, their faces, their names, where they're from, maybe a little bit about them. Harvard called it the Facebook. It's all the faces. And the Winklevoss twins said, wow, this would be, we could put this online. You know, this was uh, about 10 years ago. Internet was widespread. Everybody, everybody at Harvard spent a lot of time on their computer. We should put this online. Uh, maybe, we, maybe we could make this, you know, a way to kind of meet other, you know, because the first thing they did when you, you know, you get your Facebooks, you go through it looking for the attractive women, right? Maybe we could make this a way to meet attractive, I'm, I'm not making this up, meet attractive women online. But they didn't know anything about programming. They didn't know anything about coding. So they, uh, But they'd heard about this freshman who was a brilliant coder. He could write code around you know, like nobody's business. And um, they said, well, let's go to this kid, Mark, and maybe we can get him to write it. So they went to Mark and they said, look, we got this idea. We want to make this thing. Mark said, okay. Goes away. And a couple of weeks later, they call him and say, how's it going? Oh, I'm working hard on it. A couple of weeks later, how's it going? Oh, I'm just working hard. I'm a little, should we, can we see it? Well, it's not, you know, I've, had, I've got exams. I got to, you know, three months later, Mark Zuckerberg puts the Facebook online in Harvard, takes the world by storm. He's now one of the richest men in the world. And the Winklevoss twins, well, they sued, but they, you know, we don't know how much they got. They got a little bit. They're big Bitcoin investors now. <laughs> They're a footnote, frankly, in the history of Facebook. That's the problem is, uh, yeah, they sued, and maybe they got a little bit, maybe they, you know, they said Mark Stahl idea, but it, it, that's the problem. It's just an idea. Ideas are a dime a dozen. It's not even a unique idea. Friendster already existed, right? So it wasn't even, you know, that unusual. But because Mark had the skill to put it together, to actually make it work and to get the servers going, and, to, and then to go to a guy named Peter Thiel and say, I need money, and Peter Thiel said, yeah, you're a smart kid. I'm going to give you half a million dollars. That's how the Facebook got started. So I, it, I have to say that the idea is the least is the least of it. I uh, I I have great ideas all day long, but it's implementation that's everything. So yes, you can go somewhere. You can even if you have no money, probably get somebody to write the software for you for no cost. But you'll have to say you're going to get you know twenty five percent of the company. 
and you know hope <laughs> hope but I, it's not enough and I tell you I, I had the same conversation with my son who's got a great idea I said my my suggestion he's just coming out of college would be maybe go to work for a company find out how these things work talk to angel investors talk to venture capitalists find out how these things work maybe get some technical skills and then start thinking about ideas uh, last call of the day, David, Orange Park. Hi, David, in Florida, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Good afternoon, Leo. How are you doing? I am well. How are you? I'm doing great. I've got a quick question, please. Yes. Purchased the HP 13-inch X360 convertible. You like it? Love that machine. It is a very nice machine, yeah. But I think HP has crippled the charger because you're not able to use a third-party charger I... or a System. They did that to me, too. I have an HP uh, Spectra T, uh, and um, it's a Type-C port, so it's a standard port, but I can't use anybody else's charger but HP's. Is there some... I mean, <laughs> it makes no sense. Why would they do that? Because they can charge you $120 for the charger. Yeah. You have to buy it from them. They're one of the few companies that does this. I I... It's a. I think it's a mistake. I think they're wrong to do it. Uh, it makes me mad. I really like this HP. I have a very similar notebook. I love that notebook. The fact that I have to use an HP charger bugs the heck out of me because that's a standard port. And by the way, they're going to have to change your business model because everybody else is letting you charge, including Apple, is letting you charge with a third-party charger. Apple, the greediest company in the, in America, <laughs> lets you use a third-party well, charger. What I found it will do, it will let you use the third-party charger, but it will only charge when the machine is turned off. Oh, well, that's a start. All right, so maybe it's, it's not the third-party. Maybe you can use a third-party charger. Then I take it back. See, I've got firmware in my HP that will just reject it. It says, no, you can't charge with this. It turns off the charging. But you are able to charge when the machine's off. That tells me the real issue is not that it won't support a third-party charger, but you need one with more wattage. I'm using the Apple charger for a MacBook uh, the well, MacBook Pro look on 15. your look on your 360 charger. Read it carefully and figure out how much how many watts it provides. Sometimes you have to do the math. Multiply volts times amps. That will always be there in little tiny print, and it's probably I'm going to guess around 85 watts. Uh, the Apple charger may be less depending on which Apple you have. So uh, these are Type-C chargers. That's the good news. Uh, that's a standard. And the fact that it charges at all tells me it does work, but only when it's not on. Unless the HP, maybe HP put the software to block charging just like in the operating system, which would be dumb. But my guess is it's not the right wattage. So see if you can get a charger. Find a charger closer to the wattage provided by the HP charger. See if that works when it's on. reason it works when it's off, I think, is because... There's no drain, right? So the it'll trickle charge it, slowly charge it. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. I hope you have a great geek week, and I'll see you next time. Hey, 
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.